And there are so many facets of leadership in our culture today that are really deficient. There was a time when we had more leaders than we have today. And a leader is a guy who is not just walking to the front of the line and raising his hand and saying, I'm a leader. He's not a person who puts his finger in the wind and find out what people want and then be the first to represent them. No, biblical leadership is someone who knows what to do that is right based on the infallible, inerrant, eternal Word of God. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a series of special messages that were delivered by Dr. Brogy over the last couple of years. And today, we are looking at the attributes of an elder as Pastor Carl illustrates the biblical definition of elders as leaders in the local church and their responsibilities. Today's sermon is entitled, The Elder's Heart, where we will see that a biblical leader is someone who knows what to do and what is right based on the infallible, inherent Word of God. Please join us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4 through 4, as we begin. Take God's Word with you this morning and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. You can see I want to speak this morning on the heart of an elder. I want to speak on leaders in the local church. You know, every time we do the annual elder affirmation in more recent years, because it's been a while since I've addressed this topic, we always have so many new Christians each year. Folks have said, well, what really is an elder? And uh, what does it mean? What are they supposed to do? Now, some of you are listening to me this morning, and you already have a clear understanding of what an elder is. And still others, you're thinking, well, I will never be an elder, so this sermon is not for me today. Listen, any sermon a pastor preaches, if the Bible is open, it's for you. Because all Scripture is given by the breath of God, and in some way, shape, or form, it is profitable. So I want to speak about elders in the local church. And there are so many facets of leadership in our culture today that are really deficient. There was a time when we had more leaders than we have today. And a leader is a guy who is not just walking to the front of the line and raising his hand and saying, I'm a leader. He's not a person who puts his finger in the wind and find out what people want and then be the first to represent them. No, biblical leadership is someone who knows what to do that is right based on the infallible, inerrant, eternal Word of God, and then is willing to defend that and call others to follow. And Jesus taught that as his people, we are to be salt and light. And one of the reasons I believe that the culture is degenerating is because the church is downgrading. We have less and less believers who are bright lights and who, like salt, are able to preserve righteousness. And we have elders today who don't want to stand or step on anyone's toes, and they're afraid to offend anyone. Pastors all across America, add to that, you have folks who've been in churches where there's been a moral breach, some loss of confidence and leadership, and you were heartbroken over it, and then you come to a church like this, and you're trying to warm up to the next guy in the pulpit. And so we need to know what an elder is to be like and what really qualifies him and what is his role. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, but in many churches, the congregation votes on everything or the church is run by committees. Is that what God dictated for church government? 
Does God want the church to be managed by committees or maybe by a a few strong families that have been there forever? What is God's plan? And so we need to clearly define biblical eldership, and you need to be able to understand it, not just for yourself, but as you help new believers, as you help your own children to understand what it means. So I want to begin this morning by reading our text of Scripture. There's an outline for those of you who are online. You can print it out, or you can just write off of your computer, though I want you to bring a paper copy of the Scripture. Look, I I was a tester for the very first electronic Bible that ever came out. Today they call it Logos, me and a handful of other guys. And there's a role and there's a place for it, but you cannot learn the Bible through an electronic Bible in its truest sense. You'll never find your way around it. You'll never get a working knowledge of Scripture. So you need to bring a paper copy, and if you don't have one, Come to meet the pastor, and we will supply one. First Peter chapter 5, follow along. Therefore, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. If you're using the note-taking outline, there are three major truths about an elder that I want us to ponder this morning. First, the attributes of an elder. What are the attributes of an elder? Look now at verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. If you've read Peter's two letters and you've examined his life from the gospel, you learn he's a pastor's pastor. And like any good elder, like any good pastor, he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. A good pastor must be a witness of something. Doctrinally, experientially, personally, he has to know. And what did Peter give witness to? One, to the death of the Lord Jesus. And so he preached much of how the Lord Jesus suffered and died. But he also had a glimpse of glory there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so he preached on the crucifixion, how Christ died for your sins, in your place, bearing your wrath so that by his death and resurrection alone, you can be a forgiven person. But he also preached in the coronation of Christ. He preached that Christ would come again to judge the living and the dead and to rule and to reign for a thousand years before he carries us into that eternal state. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Paul said, we'll be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. He said that when the trumpet of God is sounded, that Christ will come. He'll raise the dead in Christ first, and those of us who are alive will be caught up, and together we will be with the Lord forever. He'll take us up in the rapture. We'll be with him in heaven. We'll come back with him to rule and reign with him for a thousand years, and we'll be with him for all of eternity. And so a pastor must preach 
on the crucifixion and the coronation of Christ, or he should not be a pastor. And I say pastor because the word elder, pastor, overseer, is used interchangeably in the New Testament. It's not three offices, but one office expressed with three different words. And so he begins by unfolding for us three attributes of a biblical elder. First, there on your outline, elders are to be several in number. Elders are to be several in number. Now, it's interesting to note that in the New Testament, the number of elders in the local church is always described in the plural. There's not a single biblical verse in the New Testament to define a single elder form of government. On Paul's first missionary journey, Luke notes for us in Acts chapter 14, and when they had appointed elders, there it is in the plural, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, a plurality of elders in each and every church, having prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul said to the church at Philippi, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Overseers, that's another term for elder, and deacons. Those are the only two remaining offices in the New Testament church. The office of apostle is no longer with us because to be an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ. You had to have been personally selected by him. And if those things were true, then 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says that there would be signs and wonders that would accompany that calling. But when he gathered the church together, the elders from Ephesus on that beach there at Miletus, we're told in Acts 20, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, plural, of the church. In like fashion, listen to what the apostle James said in the fifth chapter of his epistle. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice, too, it's elders, not elder. It's not the elder of the church. It's not the elders of the churches. But it's the elders, plural, of the church, singular. And so if there was a sick person in the fellowship, and contextually this person is sick because they have been under the discipline of the Lord that ultimately comes through the hand of the leadership in the local assembly and they have become weak or sick, like Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 10, and now they are coming in repentance, and the elders are willing to lay hands on them for their healing. But there's a plurality of elders. And so in the New Testament, there's not one elder, but a plurality of elders. Now, please don't forget that for nearly the first 200 years of church history, the church did not meet in buildings like this. They met in homes. Due to the oppression of the Roman government, due to the persecution that came upon born-again believers, they met in house churches. And it's clear that in every city in these various houses, there was a group of elders that gave leadership. Now, we don't know definitively whether every single house church had an elder or possibly more than one elder. But we do know that they worked together in every town, every village, every city, and they came together and they led together. That's the assumption that the Apostle James is speaking of here in James 5 and verse 17. Now, this forces us to ask a question. Where is it that some 
churches, some denominations, have developed a single elder form of government. Well, most would appeal to the seven churches of the Revelation that Jesus wrote a letter to. If you remember, we just finished a study of the Revelation. It was the last book that we covered. It took over three years to go through it. But with each of the seven churches, he said, to the angel of the church in Ephesus and Pergamum and Smyrna and Thyatira, whatever it was, to the angel of the church. Well, who is he referring to when he says the angel of the church? And I go through this in great detail if you're interested and you're online Download the phone app, search the scriptures, and you can listen to some of those messages in the seven churches. So who are the angels? Are these literal, actual angels, that fixed number that God created, some of which rebelled and we call demons today, some who are holy and elect angels? Or are these pastors, people that he is speaking of? Well, understand that the challenge, the problem, concerns more our English Bible than it does the Greek New Testament, or for that matter, most other languages of the world that translate these verses. So one of two positions, some say, well, these are literal angels who are taking care of various congregations. Some would describe them even as guardian angels over the church. There's a problem with that. Number one is Christ is giving a message to each of these angels to deliver to the church. And we learn in 1 Corinthians 11 that that angels don't preach to the church. Angels are actually learning from the church. Whenever we meet corporately, there's more in our congregation than you see with the physical eye. Angels observe, and there is untold numbers of angels, hundreds of millions, probably billions of angels that God created. So the thought that angels are going to deliver a letter and preach to a church is very convoluted, and it doesn't dovetail with the rest of Scripture. A second view that was held for nearly 1,500 years of church history is that these are not literal angels, but these are human messengers. And I should say that the word angel, angelos in Greek, means a messenger. And the word angel, malach, in Hebrew means a messenger. And the term can be used of a literal angel or someone who is functioning as an angel, as a messenger. And so how are we to understand it? Well, there again, like for instance in Daniel chapter 6, if you remember, there was an angel that closed the mouths of the lion, lions and protected Daniel. Those were literal, actual angels. Also, that word malach, angel, is used of people. For instance, in the book of Malachi, the second chapter, the priest is called the messenger, the malach, the angelos in the Greek Old Testament of the Lord. John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord, who is mentioned in Malachi chapter 3, is called an angel. When you come into the New Testament, for instance, in Luke 1, 26, now in the sixth month, the angel, Angelos, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. That's a literal angel. That's not a human, obviously. In Luke chapter 7, John's disciples, like John, are called angels. When the messengers, it's the word angels, just in the plural, when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. 
So almost in every language, it's not an issue. It becomes an issue in English because sometimes we translate it in some time, or interpret the word, or sometimes we don't translate it. Uh, years ago, I was in the Ukraine, and some of the sisters made a cross stitch, and I have it, and it said, to the angel Carl in Beaufort. Now, they didn't mean I was a literal angel, but they meant I was a pastor. And Christ is speaking to seven churches, to uh, seven pastors. And so today we have the idea of a senior pastor. Elders in an assembly are equal, but there's a first among equals. If I named, you know, Grace Community Church or First Baptist uh, Dallas or some church, there's probably a pastor that comes to your mind. Yet if the truth were told, both of those churches have a plurality of pastors or elders that shepherd that congregation. But the thought is, is that there's typically a leader amongst equals. We today often refer to him as the senior pastor. And so it's not surprising that the Lord Jesus would address a single elder or a single pastor in the seven churches. But I don't think for a moment that he is discounting what he would later inspire his apostles to write. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said this, let the elders, 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, while all elders must be apt to teach and sound in doctrine, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And we've just learned recently in our three messages from the book of Hebrews that that is something that God wants to be true of every born-again, blood-bought child of God. He wants you to grow up so that you are able, in some sense, to teach. But while all elders are to be sound and mature in that way, not all elders are gifted and called of God to preach and teach the Word of God. So Paul here uses the term double honor to avoid sliding the other elders, and yet at the same time to recognize that some men are called to preach. But to call some as preachers and to give them double honor, that is, they're paid a salary, is not justification for making a distinction between clergymen and lay elders, as some people do. No, elders are equals, and together they shepherd the church of God. And so again, while all elders are apt to teach sound in doctrine, some are gifted to carry that out. They are to lead in that way. And in some churches, it might be one man, and larger churches, there might be a number of people who do it. But I think it's important that we recognize that God has put some safeguards in the church to keep a man with an unholy ambition from excelling. And so he gives a group of men who guard the church. Now, in some churches, I will say that deacons function as elders, but then you lose the office of deacon in the New Testament. There's a plurality of elders and a plurality of deacons that are described in the New Testament church. But not only are they several in number, secondly, I want us to think about the fact that elders are to be seasoned in their walk. They are to be seasoned in their walk. Again, verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Now, we just read from 
the opening verse to the church at Philippi, that there were elders, plural, and deacons, plural. The office of elder leads. The deacons serve at the will of the elders. There's a very clear, definitive job description for an elder. There's not one as such for the deacons. Though historically, deacons have taken on certain responsibilities in the church. But deacons serve at the will of the elders in the local assembly. And the word deacon just means a servant. And sometimes in a non-technical way, all Christians are called deacons and that we are all to be servants. He that would be great among you must be the deacon, the servant of all. But in a technical way, there's an office of which one must be qualified to meet. So sadly today, people have redefined some of the words like pastor or overseer. And in the older English, it's not overseer, but bishop. But the words elder, pastor, overseer um, are used interchangeably of the same office in the New Testament. But some churches have created a hierarchy of leadership. So you have a pastor, and then above the local church, you have kind of a super pastor, a super elder. We often call him the bishop in some denominational structures, and he kind of moves pastors around. But you do not see that distinction in the New Testament, though I think it's important to note that God uses different words to describe this singular office because each word that he uses in some way expresses the role that the office is to take. So the word bishop or overseer, episcopon, speaks of the responsibility of the office. The term elder speaks of the spiritual maturity of the office. It is true that the word presbuteros can be used to describe an older person but when it's used in reference to the New Testament office, it's describing not age, it's describing spiritual maturity. And so when Paul gives the, uh, the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1, he gives 22 qualifications. And Peter adds an additional one in 1 Peter 5. But he uses these words interchangeably. So Paul writes, for instance, to Timothy, and he said, an overseer must be. He writes to Titus, and he said, for this reason, I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And then he says in the next breath, for an overseer must be, and he goes to the singular. Why? Because each and every overseer or elder or pastor must meet the qualifications that are described. But what I want you to see is that the term elder and overseer are used in the same paragraph of the same person, just like it's done that way in Acts chapter 20. And so you might want to study those characteristics because an elder is to be an example to the flock. And so those characteristics are something that you want ultimately to characterize your life. You may not be formally in the office of elder, but you may shepherd some group of people in a Bible study and an adult Bible fellowship, maybe sixth graders in a Awana class. And if you're a dad, you've got children that you are called 
to shepherd. And if you read those 22 characteristics, while there can be some overlap, they basically fall into four categories. There's the personal character, there's the public testimony, there's the family life, and then there are those ministry scales, skills. And of course, they can overlap. So for instance, if there is a family failure, then there will be a ministry and personal failure, and so on we could argue. But understand, it's not elderly men. There are people who age physically but do not grow up spiritually. And you could potentially have a 25-year-old who's been a, a believer for five years who's more qualified to serve in the office of elder than someone who is 60 years old and who's never grown up in the faith. So it's not an issue of age, it's an issue of spiritual maturity. And remember, Titus and Timothy, as you read those two pastoral epistles, as we've called them for the last 400 years or so, they were younger men. And sometimes as a younger man, it can be intimidating. I came here, I was 33 years old, over 30 years ago. And at times, I felt a little intimidated, so I understand what Paul wrote to Timothy. Like, who are you, this young whippersnapper, telling me who's got three decades on you how I should live or what I should do? Who gave you authority over me? And the answer is God did, because God called me. So Paul says to Titus, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He tells his young protege in the faith, Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So an elder must have a seasoned walk. And so the warning in 1 Timothy 3, 6, and not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And how many churches have suffered greatly? because they've ignored that principle. They put someone in leadership, oh, he's a fine businessman, or he's got a PhD after his name, or whatever, but they were not spiritually qualified for the office. These are important qualifications, and a church will stand or fall based on its leadership, and so they need to be spiritually mature. Listen, it's a real spiritual battle. The bullets are real. And we need the right men, and I say men because the office of pastor is not for women. Take all the chatter that's out there in evangelicalism. Even the president of the Southern Baptist Convention said, a woman can preach on Sunday morning as long as it's not some new doctrinal issue that the other elders. That's a lie. That's not true. That's snuggling up to the world, wanting people to like you. And we do a great disservice to women when we reverse roles and we ask them to do something that God has not called them to do. Listen, there are some things in the church that only women can do, and there are some things in the church that only men can do, and it has nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with the role that God has called us to carry out, but not a new convert. Listen, forget the eldership. Sometimes people will bring across our platform some famous person and we think, ah, oh, this famous person, you know, everybody admires him. He'll win people to Jesus. And then we see him crash and burn because we violated the application of a basic principle, not a new convert, lest he become conceited. 
Please join us tomorrow as we begin part two of Pastor Carl's sermon, The Elder's Heart, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you enjoyed today's message, remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program TEH020A. You can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.